you read the first several verses of Philemon, they are overflowing with thanksgiving. Thanksgiving for Philemon, thanksgiving for the way he cares for the church, for his love for all of God's people. There is this attitude of thanksgiving that is there. And it is that context of Philemon, you're doing a great job, come with me, that we need to hear this letter. Every good thing, it's a small little phrase. It, it is actually one word, well, two words in, in the Greek, one for every and the other is good. <laughs> every good, every good. Paul's prayer here and the purpose of this letter really is not about Onesimus' freedom. I mean, in one hand it is. Onesimus, a slave throughout church history, they've debated a little bit, but most people think he probably ran away as a slave at one time. And there's, there's this discussion about what do we do with him and how, how does he get restored to Philemon. And, and this, this letter became a big part of the abolition movement to end slavery all through the English Empire, all through North America. This letter really focuses on that. But if we just focus on the issue of slavery, we actually miss something else that's happening. The letter is about Philemon's discipleship. I pray that your partnership with us in the faith may be effective in deepening your understanding of every good thing we share for the sake of Christ. Paul's prayer for this letter, the purpose of him writing, is Philemon, you've grown in Christ, you've partnered with us, but you still have growing to do. There's still more discipleship. You're not done. You have something to learn yet. And I'm praying that as we continue to partner together, as we continue to, to follow Christ together, you're going to discover something deeper. You're going to enter into every good thing that God has for us in Christ Jesus. When we read Scripture, we can, in one sense, keep a stiff arm and say, oh, that was just Philemon. That's his issue, right? <laughs> Philemon had growing to do, not me. I got everything together. I went to Christian schools. I may have gone to cadets or gems. I, I, I did all the stuff all the way through. I, I made profession of faith when I was supposed to. I've served in the church. I've been an elder and a deacon many times over we may be able to rely on those things and say all those things. And, and yet this passage is written to us. No matter where we're at in our faith journey, whether this is the first day we're questioning whether or not we can believe in Jesus or we've been believing in Jesus and following him for 95 plus years. This letter is inviting all of us to enter in and to sit with Philemon and realize that we all have growing to do. Our discipleship is ongoing. One of our core values here at the church is, is called active discipleship. Basically, it means the life of discipleship isn't coming to church and sitting in the pew and going home. It, it calls us to a new way of living with Christ, an ongoing way of living. And, and part of the language our discipleship committee uses around that is, is we're called into a discipleship that is lifelong, birth until the day we die, and life broad, 
meaning it's not just about memorizing a scripture passage or showing up here at church. It, it actually encompasses every area of our life. Relationships, parenting, siblings, cousins, neighbors, friendships, the way we work, the way we use the resources in creation, the way we do everything falls under the umbrella of our ongoing discipleship. And because of that, what what Paul is saying to Philemon is really the Spirit saying to all of us, we've still got growing to do. There's still more we need to learn about following God. In some sense, we could simply say this, God's gift of Jesus, in Jesus Christ is even more than we had imagined. You remember Paul's prayer uh, in the letter of Ephesians? He goes to four dimensions, how, how wide, that you may discover how wide and how long and how high and deep is the love of God the Father in Christ Jesus our Lord. This is the shorthand way of saying that. Paul's desire is that Philemon and the Spirit's desire is that we, as we engage this letter, would grow in our understanding of the grace and knowledge of Jesus. the context of celebration. We need to keep that in mind. Sometimes we know how to celebrate, and then we say everything's done, right? I, I've seen this before in churches, certainly not here, but, but I've seen that in churches that, that they hit their budget amount for the year, and they go, okay, we're done. In the last few weeks of the year, once they've met the budget, the giving all of a sudden drops off. People say, hey, we've met our budget for the year, and there's a cheer, and then everybody quits giving. Whoa, 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 discipleship, ongoing. It's an ongoing pattern. We've got to keep moving, keep growing together, right? Here, Paul says to him in, in verse, uh, verse 7, Your love has given me great joy and encouragement because you, brother, have refreshed the hearts of the Lord's people. It's a context of celebration. It's kind of like putting a mile marker you're refreshing God's people. You're giving encouragement. Everybody's being encouraged. Yes! Now, let's keep going. The two come together, that celebration and that call to ongoing discipleship. So what's our ongoing discipleship rooted in? For Paul here, it's, it's rooted in this appeal. It's appeal not made on you have duty to keep. You have have laws to, to follow, you have regulations, you have, you have all these boundaries that you have to maintain and keep and structure and, and, and a super disciplined life that you must attain to. He doesn't rack up all these standards and say, now, because God has saved you, go out and do all this because you've got to do it. No, he turns around and says, our whole Christian life our whole Christian life is not rooted in our obedience. Our whole Christian life is rooted in this basis of love. Therefore, although in Christ I could be bold and order you to do what you ought to do, yet I prefer to appeal to you on the basis of love. What Paul's doing here is he's actually modeling what he's going to ask Philemon to do. And he's saying, I could... Lord it over you. I could have authority over you and tell you what you have to do. I could tell you this is the way you must live. Now do it. Paul has the apostolic authority. There are other places in Scripture he actually says, I command you. <laughs> I tell you 
you need to do this. He's bold and direct. But here, he's discipling in a very gentle way Philemon. It's not a confrontation situation. It's a situation where he's urging him to grow in his discipleship. He says, Philemon, come with me. See that it's not about power and authority over people. See that our discipleship in Christ is rooted in love. And so instead of lording it over you, I'm going to appeal to you on the basis of love. Make a decision on your own. Come enter in with me. Come walk with me. In many ways, he's doing something that, that he's done with the Philippians as well. He's, he's writing this letter to Philemon from jail. He's also writing the letter to the Philippians from jail. As he's doing this, he says to the Philippians, in your relationships with each other, have the same attitude Christ Jesus had. Part of what Paul's saying is, is, see my attitude? It's not really about me. I'm not lording it over you, but the reason I don't lord it over you is because of what Christ Jesus has done. And Philemon, I want you to pay attention in your relationship with others, especially with Onesimus, your servant, your slave. I want you to have a relationship with him that is reflective of the same attitude Christ Jesus had. Another point Paul says to one of the congregations he's walking with, what you have seen in me, put it into practice. It's not really Paul saying, pay attention to me because I got it all together. It's Paul saying, I'm learning to follow Christ. Come walk with me. Come join me in following Christ. And here's how. Take on Christ's attitude in all your relationships. Rather than power over others, walk humbly and serve others. You know how he describes it to the Philippians? This passage. Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Imagine how shocking that is for a culture like the Roman world where what they see around them is the military might. What they see around them are these great temples and the religious power of the Roman Empire. And they see that those who betray will be hung up on a cross. Those who, who dare to defy the Roman Empire are, are going to get nailed to a cross. And it was a very public thing. You either have the power to overthrow Rome, or you better submit. There's no in-between. And what Paul is saying to Philemon, there's a different way. There's a totally different way. Not rooted in power over others. Not rooted in authority over others. Not rooted in dominating others. There is a completely different way than what the culture around you has trained you and taught you. It's a way of service. It's a way of laying down your life. If we are to follow Christ and to grow in our discipleship, what we're being called into is not a life full of power and success and access and influence. Though God may bring some of us into those places. What we are fundamentally being called into 
is this posture of humble service on the basis not of our love for each other, but on the basis of God's love for us in Christ Jesus. The one who was willing to lay down his life on the cross to empty himself, not to see equality with God as something to be used to his own advantage. I don't know about you, but I could meditate just on that one verse for a very long time. I mean, that one verse, if Jesus Christ is the kind of God and the kind of human being among us who didn't use equality with God, his access, privilege, and power to his own advantage, but instead used it to serve others, what is it that we are being called into? The money, the education, the jobs, the relationships, the connections we have, everything that we have, not to use them for our own advantage and our own comfort, but to see all of them as resources for serving others, even if it costs us our life, as it cost Christ. Philemon's discipleship is being transformed. He's being challenged and and beckoned into a life that was more than God saved me for eternity, but into a life of service here and now. Paul saying, Philemon, you're doing great, but keep going. There's more here for you than you have seen or understood in the riches of Christ Jesus. A little later on, it's verse 17. Paul saying to Philemon, so if you consider me a partner, if we're in this together, welcome him, welcome Onesimus, as you would welcome me. What a great vision here. Because what Paul's really saying is, is not just as you would welcome me, but if we're partners in this, you have already welcomed me as you would welcome Christ. You have already affirmed that we are brothers in Christ. You are already affirmed that we are equals because of Christ. As you have welcomed me already, as you have welcomed Christ in me, welcome Christ in Onesimus. Welcome Christ who is now living in Onesimus. Welcome Onesimus because of Jesus Christ. Welcome him, make room for him, wrap him in. Powerful, powerful little verse. That little verse became part of what the abolition movement grabbed onto. That our posture, because the image of God resides in each and every person, meant that we need to make room for each and every person within the body of Christ. That those who were divided culturally and socially by economics and race needed to be brought together into unity within the body of Christ. The image of God being seen alive in each and every person. Scripture itself pushes that even further. It's not just between adults. It actually gets at generational boundaries and differences. In Mark, one of the accounts of this story happening, Mark says, he, being Jesus, took a little child whom he had placed among them. 
taking the child in his arms, he said to them, whoever welcomes one of these little children in my name welcomes me. And whoever welcomes me does not welcome just me, but the one who sent me. Welcoming God means taking the time to see Christ, to see God alive in each and every person, regardless of their age, regardless of their abilities to contribute to us or benefit us, regardless of who they are or what condition we encounter them in. We are called to welcome others as if we are welcoming Christ, as if we are welcoming God our Father to make room and welcome them in. The end of Matthew, well, Heidelberg Catechism, before I go to Matthew, this is what's powerful to me about this understanding, this teaching of the church over the last 450 years uh, about the Sixth Commandment. The Sixth Commandment, thou shalt not murder. And we kind of breeze past it going, I haven't killed anybody. And this commandment, when Scripture fleshes it out and the church starts doing the teaching around it, says it's way more than just not killing others. It's about coming to a place where you honor the image of God that is alive in others and you treat them such. It's not good enough just to say I'm not going to kill them. We actually are called into a life of service where we lay down our lives to build them up. That last line, to protect them from harm, them being our neighbors, from harm as much as we can and to do good even to our enemies. It's a different posture, isn't it? In a world where we see power and might being flexed all the time, being talked about all the time of who has the authority and the power over others, we are called to live a subversive life of service where we use all the power entrusted to us to seek the benefit of our neighbors instead of ourselves and even of our enemies. Many of us are familiar with Jesus' parable of the sheep and the goats. It's an end-time parable about the judgment day when we come before God and, and there's a sifting that happens, a separating of, of sheep and goats, and, and the sifting is, is rooted out basically in this. The king will reply, Truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. And that's where we're called, are further up and further in. The way we're called into a new life with Christ is to come, even as Philemon was called to, to set Onesimus free and to discover in serving Onesimus and recognizing him as Christ, that each of us are, are called to find ways to love our neighbors in such that we recognize them as Christ. We recognize Christ in them and we serve them as such. I want to put this question in front of us. Whom will we welcome as if Jesus were welcoming them? Most of the time we start this question off, whom will we welcome because Jesus is in them? It's actually a, a conversation between John Calvin and Martin Bucer that I've referenced a couple times. And they were talking about why do we serve others? And, and John Calvin 
said, we serve others because the image of God is in them. And Martin Bucer turned around and said, and we serve others because the image of God is in us. Paul is inviting to Philemon to experience a fullness of the image of God in him as he serves Onesimus and welcomes him, not as a slave, but as an equal brother. God is calling and inviting us, the Spirit does through this letter, to look around at our culture and see whom we can welcome so that we experience more in our own discipleship about what it means to bear the image of God than we have to up till this point. There's a question for each of us this morning. Whom will we welcome as if Jesus were welcoming them? In a few moments, Marge Postuma is going to talk to us about her work with Right to Life and how that movement and, and organization is trying to walk alongside and welcome unborn children and their mothers to care for them and extend God's grace to them. Some of us spend ourselves walking alongside those who are tangled up in all sorts of mental health challenges. And we walk with them and, and say, God loves you and God is in you and God is with you. And we bear that witness. Some of us may be called here to engage with the First Nations women and men and maybe immigrants. Others of us may find ourselves being called towards welcoming those who are entangled in addictions or in lifelong illnesses and still others in prison and I'm sure I could not list the number of different ways we are called. The question though, as we encounter Philemon and God's grace in Philemon is to enter into a fullness of life that we perhaps have not yet imagined. That's only discovered as we begin to pour our lives out in service of those around us recognizing in them, naming to them, serving them in such a way that we and they experience more of the image of God alive in all of us. Let's pray. Help us, Lord to give you thanks for the ways you have already worked among us, for the discipleship you have already brought us along, for the way you have taught us and revealed your salvation in Jesus Christ. Help us, Lord, to continue to have open eyes and open hands and open hearts to see the ways that you are continuing to call us to follow you. May you fill us, Holy Spirit, that we might walk into the fullness of Christ Jesus and the life he has offered to us through his death and resurrection. May we lay down the power and access and resources that you give to us in service of those you have placed around us, that they too may experience your image, your Son, Jesus Christ, alive in us. In Christ we pray. Amen. Invite us to stand as we sing together number 309, the Servant Song.